The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 135 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on this show are my own and not my present or past employers. I've never disclosed any sensitive intelligence that I have a privilege to result of my current employment, and I've never knowingly disclosed any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I remind our listeners, you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshome.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So you gotta check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So we're gonna jump right into it tonight, folks. I mean, we got an awesome show for you this evening. Mr. Michael Oberlander is gonna be with us breaking down cybersecurity from the Chief's view. Uh, Michael's got a broad, global, diversified background in various industries and markets. Uh, you're going to love his experience. You're going to love some of the things he has to say. He's got three decades of IT experience, including two decades of full-time security leadership experience with a strong focus on IT and security strategy. Michael's a global, globally recognized thought leader. He's also a book author and publisher and has written numerous articles for security magazines, and also has been a frequent speaker, panelist, and moderator at many different security conferences. You've probably seen him speak before. He holds a master's degree, uh, in, a master of science degree in physics, really smart guy, from the Ivy League University of Heidelberg, Germany. I um, hope I, I pronounced that correctly. Michael's also a dual citizen of the, of the U.S. And, and the EU, and he's multilingual. He, spe- he speaks several different languages, uh, super intelligent uh, guy, super intelligent professional. And he just published his new book, Global CISO, uh, CISO, I guess we should say, uh, Strategy, Tactics, and Leadership, How to Succeed in InfoSec and Cybersecurity. And you can get that on Amazon. We'll be talking about that uh, tonight. So uh, a lot more, I, I, I promise you. Um, but, you know, take a look. Uh, if you're interested, it's on Amazon. And Michael's alignment of security to business goals and risk management and his ability to get to the root cause of any issue quickly has built him an enormous amount of credibility with the C-suite at several global companies. Michael advises on different boards of directors. He sits on multiple advisory boards, and he is a very sought-after executive on any matter concerning security. Let's jump right into it, folks. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the show global CISO and cybersecurity book author, Mr. Michael Oberlander. Michael, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hi, George. Pleasure to to be there. Thank you very much for inviting me. Hey, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I got so much to ask you, so much to talk to you about. You're involved in so many different things. First, I want to talk about your, your new book, uh, Global CISO Strategy, Tactics, and Leadership. 
Um, it's a very interesting book. And I think these types of books really, really help the industry uh, get out there. I don't think there's a lot of them, which is, um, is kind of strange. But why, you write, why did you write this book? Uh, and why did you publish it? And who, who, who's the intended audience? Who do you want to read this book? Well, you know, George, I'm a veteran in InfoSec and cybersecurity for over two and a half decades. Uh, I have been in this industry as a professional for over 30 years, and I was wondering what I could do to help people that want to join these ranks, such as CISO or CSO, and also other roles in strategy, uh, governance, risk, compliance, architecture, security operations, and so forth. And there are plenty of books on programming and coding and also on security administration, but true leadership books where you are being taught the entire story, like from scratch and where you're being guided from the initial steps to the end game, that is clearly a market niche that uh, I wanted to fill. And uh, in, in addition, uh, I also wanted to put things in perspective. You can, you can read about mega breaches almost every day, right? And some people even start to ignore them because of all the noise. Uh, so I thought, let's provide an overview, look at the commonalities and the, uh, the differences, and uh, find out who is behind and why do these things still happen in 2020. And I mean, it is not like 1985 anymore. We are 35 years later, more than an entire generation. And if you dive into the different laws and regulations on a global scale, there's quite a big bit of change coming. And uh, I wanted to share my perspective. Like, I'm being a dual citizen. Uh, I was born here, but I grew up in Europe and Germany. And of the more European data-driven privacy approach that resulting in a GDPR and here in the US, the California Consumer Privacy Act, and check out how things are treated there and how the new kid on the block like China with its new uh, cybersecurity law looks like. And, and then I also look at the threat actors and their methods and to basically prepare for the next sections, namely like how to secure against these threats and what key core concepts and strategies and principles and technologies need to be implemented and used. Yeah, so this is great. I'm really glad that you did this book or you wrote this book and, and um, I'm glad that you come on the show because we, we're, we're a global show. So we have people in 45 different countries listening to this show. And we want to get more listeners in, in, in Germany and the EU. And um, we like to have experts on from all, many different areas of the, of the world. I know you mentioned that you're over in the United States now. Is that yes. you know, yes. permanently right? But, but, but still, you know, the fact that you're from there and is, is, very, uh, is very helpful. And it gives, a, it gives a different perspective, too, on everything. And so I think, um, well, let's talk about the book. I, I, I got to tell you. It, writing a book is not, not an easy thing to do. Right? <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. Um, time is the, the biggest key, I would imagine. I mean, it's certainly a lot of work to author such a book. How long did it take you to write the book? I mean, how long did it take you to write it? And did you have co-authors? Did someone help you write it? Or did you tell them what to write? Or did you do the whole thing yourself? How did you do it? Oh, yes, George. It is indeed a lot of work. Uh, I have started working on this book in 2015 and then leveraged the new breaches like Yahoo, uh, which were actually multiple breaches and like Marriott and uh, other the OPM breach, new attacks, new regulations like GDPR and CCPA and CSL and so forth and new technologies such as uh, cloud and IoT, for example. And uh, no, I, I did not have a co-author or co-authors, um, but this whole thing completely by myself. And I'm quite proud of that accomplishment. You know, I think if you want to provide your insights, your lessons learned and your expertise and your own viewpoint on how these things work and what should be done, 
I don't think that I wanted it to be filtered by others for either political correctness or, hey, this is not by the book or, well, not in my experience. Yeah. No, this, this book is 100% pure me, clean and simple and direct to the bone and no, no BS. I, I understand there might be some that disagree with my views and w who would do it differently. That's fine. And they can write their own books together. But this one here is, this is written by a global leader in this field that has tested these approaches and has done it under real world pressure. And my pretty very successful career may be a good proof and uh, that these concepts work. I have been assigned in multiple different uh, chief security officer or chief information security officer roles in multiple jurisdictions and continents, and this is really working, and this is basically my, my extract of life. And you, you asked earlier about the um, intended audience, so um, I think people that uh, are either aspiring leaders, um, security professionals, but also people from other professions, right, that want to engage with a season mm -hmm. like marketing, sales, legal mm -hmm. compliance guys, and technology gurus. Uh, and then, of course, students. I want to, to give something to the new generation that they can get an advantage and basically a head start into their career. That there's nothing like uh, learning how to drink from the fire hose than directly from the fire marshal, in my view. That's really, we, need, we have a duty as leaders to, to grow the next generation. Yeah, I mean, this is a tremendous accomplishment in my mind. I mean, I really got to hand it to you. I mean, because you're, you're, you're in the marketplace full time. I mean, you have a full time job um, and you're a chief executive in the information security space. And then you wrote, so it took you five years to write this book? Yes, yes. So I get it, that I right? In parallel. <laughs> I did it in parallel to my other jobs and that is uh, quite a burden to be honest. Yeah, I mean, how often do you write? I mean, you, you got to be disciplined when you write a book, right? You have to yes. get up in the morning. Do you write every day, every week? Or how does it work? You know, weekends? Or what, what did you do? Um, I, I, I would say... I, I would say all of the above. It depends. There was a time when I couldn't do anything for half a year or a year, right? <laughs> but then I did a lot of things again in a short compressed time frame. And then again, there was a break and then doing it over the weekends uh, on, on, in the evening sometimes. And it, it depends what other workload is going on and what other um, threats are there that you have to deal with. But over time, you, you build it together. And then at the end, you do really the, the nice and shiny cleanup that really is everything integrated. Yeah, I mean, did you have to go back and rewrite stuff because it took you five years? I mean, did you, just, did you write things that, well, now are outdated, you, you changed your mind maybe, or you learned different things, you go back and, did, you, did that happen at all? Uh, it happened maybe once or twice, and that was slightly about some regulations that I had originally seen in draft, uh, and then later it was slightly changed, but not like tremendously <laughs> complete different approach. It was right. more a couple of links and so forth. Interesting. So you already wrote this uh, other book. It's called CISO and Now What? How to Successfully Build Security by Design. And you mentioned before that there's a lot of uh, books on coding and, and DevOps. How is this new one different from the first one? I mean, it, it, the first one was very well received, right? So how is this one different and, and why should people look at this one instead of the other one? Yes, that, that's correct. CISO Now What has really been highly successful and hit home very well. And I published that back one in uh, 2013. And yep. while the approach and key concepts are still valid today, I really wanted to A, provide an update, like a version 2.0 if you want, and then B, go deeper for those that really want to know and understand the, the, the core and the, the deep substance. And then C, cover all the fundamental areas that could not be presented in the short version. The short version is around about 100 pages. Uh, this new book, Global CISO, is not only different from a format perspective, perspective, like it's a textbook, letter size, 300 pages, with many detailed yeah. and, and really visible graphics and tables and 
formulas and, and a thorough index, but it's also going deeper into the core subjects and principles that the first one could not and actually should not do. That the first one is an executive summary, so to speak, uh, while the new one is the flesh to the skeleton. But they are both written completely independent from each other. They both provide great value and different viewpoints and both prepare you for a successful global CISO role. In the new one, I've really t uh, taken the approach to teach sales executives and vendors how to or not to approach a secretary leader and, and which steps must be taken to be successful in your engagement. I, I can honestly say if, if more sales and business developer folks would read and follow the advice given here, um, there would be way more success in business and all this nonsense and dead and boring cycle would be shortcut. Uh, and then, of course, it educates people that how to do the steps in the CISO path, right? What kind of things, how to build your team, how to structure the org chart, uh, how to get certain processes in place and so forth. So give us some examples on how you, should, how you can succeed in information security and cybersecurity. What, what say you about this? I mean, obviously, you just wrote a whole book about it. Give us some examples on what people should be thinking about. Uh, that's a broad question, uh, and it took me actually 300 pages to explain it in many topics. In, in short, <laughs> after the initial chapter and preparing the, the reader with the, with the why and the what, I'm then walking them through the subject matter to show how it's being done with specific detailed and well-tested examples. A big one, and that is really a big one, is strategy, right? The, the CSO or CSO role is the right. strategy role. And I mean, in, in the whole scope of the world, the strategy is, is core. And then also leadership. There, there are multiple uh, direct and indirect chapters on that. And then also tactics, because you need to be smart how you do it, right? When do you do it? You, uh, when, when to leverage a certain situation for a change. You may have to wait two or three years in your role before you can start a certain initiative because the time is then right. It is not in, always in the beginning, but you have to wait for a certain uh, event or a certain situation to happen. And then how you can bring in a certain typical technology that you want to do anyway, but you now have a great leverage point. And then uh, basically to, to lead other uh, to another major subject is the architecture piece, the whole technology, how to structure that. Um, I cover this in multiple conclusive chapter, chapters that provide the design approaches and principles, and then also examples um, on, on how to assess and document the current state. That's the first big step for a CISO, right? right? What do you have now? Know your assets. And then how to develop your future state diagrams, like what do you really want to build? How should it look like in the future? And then you build the way in between, like the roadmap, how to get from A to B. And I also compare and rate different topics such as uh, risk management and compliance. And readers will definitely understand that compliance is certainly not security, <laughs> but security doesn't mean there's uh, zero risk. There always is risk, and it's up to the CISO to determine what risk appetite the board has, what structured approach the organization should take, and uh, which areas to focus on. So it's interesting. You know, do you think there's a big need for this book? In other words, let's talk about strategy. Let's break it down, right? So do you think a lot of organizations are actually forming their strategy correctly for the organizations that have a strategy at all. <laughs> I, yes, great question. And no, I don't think so. So the, the issue in my view with most of the books is that they are very technology focused and lack the cohesive structure and approach. I have built, like, for example, I have built security by design long before that was even a market term. I have issued secure coding guidance and robust architecture solutions when professionals in this and other countries were still putting the same firewall in between the many different zones of the DMZ and, and VLANs. My original concepts in one of my first big uh, employer companies over in, in Europe is still valid today and still stands there, by the way. There was no breaches, no snafus, no losses. And granted, um, it wasn't the cheapest solution, but it also wasn't the most expensive one. And if, if you want to do security right, you need to open up your wallet. It comes down to a simple question. Do, do you want to pay now or later? 
And let me assure you, it is way smarter to spend now in a controlled fashion with a strategic and tactical approach that takes the necessary steps and requirements into account. While when you have to react and respond to a major crisis and do your design then, it is likely way more expensive, more stressful, less elegant, and probably not as secure and robust. But that is one of the lessons learned in real life. So there's a lot of stories to tell. I don't know if what kind of example you would really want to hear. I have fought data breaches and then had to think on my foot and respond, but I had also time to really develop robust core solutions. And if I look at that, the better approach is to, to basically do it from the beginning, from the get-go, develop your strategy, understand the needs, understand the current state situation, what is the future uh, roadmap, uh, what are the future goals and how do you get there, and then what are the steps to, to really A, B, C, D, E, and bring in these definitely technology changes, but also process and, and people changes, right? It's, it's all about that. It's not only technology, it's not only uh, people, it's also process. And that is where it hurts the most. Companies are not willing to change process. Processes. There's a lot of pushback and people hate change. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we always talk about this on the show. You know, process is king. And, you know, they shouldn't have, there's no technology, that, you know, one button technology that's going to solve all our problems. You should have a process and align the technology to the process. So let, how about leadership? I mean, do you think in your experience with all the people you talk to and interact with in the cybersecurity industry that we have the right leadership in place to be successful? You mean security leaders or industry yeah, security leaders? I mean, do we have the right security leaders in place and do we focus enough on leadership um, uh, as, uh, you know, an asset that we need to have to be successful? I mean, we obviously I think we, we focus on technical skills. A lot of people focus on business skills. Um, how, how about leadership, though? I mean, are we, you know, especially these young folks coming out of college? I mean. Exactly. They're a different generation. They're not, yes. you know, they're, they're not the kind of people that, oh, here's Monday morning, take your marching orders, 8, 8 a.m., you know, kickoff call. Uh, let's have the kickoff call. Here's, your, here's what you're going to do for the rest of the week, and I'll see you on next Monday. They're not, that's not them. Yes, <laughs> very true, very true, and I agree. I think there is a lack of leadership, and it's also an education piece that uh, oftentimes people are put in these roles way too early, and they have not yet the experience that they need to really back it up and that you know what you're talking about and how to actually confront other uh, executives or if you ha have a problem that to really solve this thing from multiple angles, and the business is always going 360, right? <laughs> you have to find various solution paths. It's not always uh, your way, but it should also not always be the way of the other guys and make the shortcut. So, you need to compromise, you need to be uh, tactical, and then you need also to be strategic in what are the things that you must do, and there's no compromise. You need to get there no matter what. So educating them, and, and I think I have really not only one chapter, there's multiple chapters throughout the book, how to lead, how to lead by example, what are the core things to do. That is what I care for and what I want to educate the, the new uh, people coming into that industry. Right. It's about earning respect, right? So Yes. Hey, Mike, we got to transition into a commercial break, but stick with us, folks. Lots more to come here in this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. If you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, global CISO and cybersecurity book author, Mr. Michael Oberlander. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. 
In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or google signet s-i-n-e-t you can't see it you can't smell it you can't taste it but it can bankrupt your company it's internal risk insider fraud ethics violations and remote workforce risk have plunged many a company into reputational crisis don't be one of them the corporate investigative team at Bluecoat have managed cybersecurity and risk mitigation in the White House, Silicon Valley, and everywhere in between. To see how Bluecoat can help protect you, visit TrustBlueCoat.com. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. 
While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Global CISO and cybersecurity book author, Mr. Michael Oberlander. So, Michael, uh, we talk a lot about career progression on the show. We like to give a lot of career advice to people who listen because uh, it's a hard industry to navigate through. Um, you've been pretty successful. Uh, tell us a story. You know, how long you worked in, in security? How did you get your start in, in cybersecurity? I mean, you're, you've obviously come to the highest levels of information security, being a chief um, in different organizations. Uh, what can you tell us, what can you tell our listeners about uh, what happened to you and, and how you got there? Oh man, uh, that is for eons, like, like since the 1990s. Uh, I began a career <laughs> in software development and programming and I realized how fragile that all is, right? Without backups, you could lose the work of an entire day or a week or even months. Then you had viruses and Trojans at that time. Uh, there were a lot of uh, standalone computers still, no network, no internet. Can you imagine? Okay. <laughs> and similar attack types, right? And once I switched my career from the application side into infrastructure, I quickly learned about all the shortcomings of the TCP IP implementation of the OSI model. And so from the attack side, sequence number guessing and parameter tempering, ICMP flags, the, the network worms and email attachments, and uh, which then lead to adding network security like firewalls and IPS and email gateway security and proxies, load balancers, HA, like uh, high availability, redundancy, and so forth. One of my lessons learned there is um, that we humans do the same nonsense again and again. Basically, with, with each new hype cycle, hype in quotes, we, we start over instead of leveraging the lessons learned. And that may uh, have to do with the agent of generations. When the, when the new generation comes in, they want to quickly get things done, make their voices heard and make their mark and not asking to learn from those that have been there before. Uh, but it's so sad to see things insanely done wrong again and again. And to prevent that would uh, mean to ask the, the right questions during design and testing and 
purchasing and implementation and operations and decomposition. So I have uh, started basically in uh, application development and infrastructure. And then for a large corporation, I was tasked at that time by the CIO, hey, Michael, I, I have a risk. I see this in the media already at that time, any any da any day or any, any week. And I'm concerned that we have to fix that. Can you help me? And I thought, wow, this is a career thing. That is a long-term subject that I can't solve overnight, not in, not in a year or two. This is like a, a game changer for my whole career. And I took that kind of risk and that kind of opportunity and as, because those things are together, right? Where, where risk is, there's opportunity and vice versa. And so I said, yes, let, let me try that. Let me do that. And in the course of the next half year, I dived into the subject deep dive and really then built a complete uh, infrastructure solution, like a new, complete new uh, DMZ structure, firewalls, all that stuff, as I said earlier, is in place still. And have from then built it into the internal organization, uh, network segmentation, and then later did all the policies and all the necessary standards and documentation governments piece. And then uh, also from a application development, teach coding, teach how to do that securely, what not to do and, and how to do it. So I took multiple steps and then I moved around. I came from, from Europe here to the US. I had an opportunity as a global IT security manager. It was the CISO role, but at that time, the CISO title wasn't there. So basically, step by step by step. And then uh, here in Houston, I then later was a CISO for an oil and gas uh, solution provider, oil field services company. And then uh, went back to Europe, did another CISO. This old job there for the largest uh, telecommunication network um, from a, from a cable network perspective, and really secured that that environment. And uh, then later I did CISO roles in uh, uh, in the fashion industry and retail, and then here now with uh, modern software development, AI, machine learning, and so forth. So really a very broad career with a lot of leadership opportunities. And I can say to the people as advice, uh, you always have to dive in full, right? You really have to commit full and learn, and then grow yourself for the next. Step and then do that again, learn full all the additional uh, aspects and the additional opportunities and then to the next step. It's really a career that is staggered like a, like a stairwell. So you, you said that you started out with application security management and I see now these days there's a lot of demand for people, especially in C-level positions that have that ASM experience and understand the SSDLC process, uh, understand testing and, and have that engineering background. Um, so do you think that was really that played a big role in your success and and what you were able to do because you started out with those skills? Yes, I do. I think it is a, an important aspect. It's not only that. There's other aspects that are important as well, but this has definitely helped me. And I think over time, there's the saying, software eats them all, and that's quite true. So it's it's good to understand that, and you're able to talk uh, in the language of the application guys and developers and coders. But you also need to understand the other side, like infrastructure. And then uh, with the modern technologies like cloud, uh, you need to have a clear understanding of the risks that you face when you have third-party security. And yeah. then talking with executives and uh, making a business case and uh, arguing on a very abstractive risk uh, layer is tough. And you can't learn that overnight. You need really a deep understanding of what you're talking about and then abstract that and formulate that and find a common uh, theme, a common understanding with the board of directors and the other C-suite executives. They don't care for the coding. They don't care for what a firewall or a TCP IP number is. But if you can... Uh, 
are you on a level of the business? Like, what is the risk? And if we do that, what is the opportunity? What is the kind of potential income in the next year with that, the, the, the profit versus, hey, what is the potential loss? If you either have a lawsuit or we have a data breach and we are in the news for a couple of weeks, like Wall Street Journal or similar, that, that is an issue. And so you argue at that higher abstract level, but you understand down in the, in the weeds what the risk really are. I got to ask you real quick, in, in, to get to the highest level of leadership in cybersecurity, do you have to move around a lot? Do you think you have to be open to living in different places? Because you moved around quite a bit and it seems like it really accelerated your career, worked out very well for you. Do other people have to do that? I mean, if they're restricted in a certain city, like if, if, I'm in, if I live in Chicago and you know, I really just want to stay in Chicago, I mean, in the cybersecurity space, it's kind of hard to move up the ladder uh, in, in leadership positions if you're not open to relocation. I wouldn't, you know. I, I agree. I, I agree. You have to be flexible. Um, you should not bind yourself to a certain location. Now, I have the situation, I have family. So what I've done is I have put my home here in Houston, Texas, but I have moved around. I have worked in other countries for that time and I have worked in other locations. So you need to be flexible. Yes, that's definitely a given. You can be lucky that you have a, a very stable structure in the place where you live in a great company where you have a long-term career, but that is not the common norm. That is a great situation when you are in that. But if you have to make changes, you, you have issues where you say, hey, this is not bringing me into the perspective to learn further, or there's uh, other issues, political, whatever it might be, you need to be flexible. And I think moving around is actually also adding to your experience and your yeah. global worldview that prepares you for other situations. Yeah, it gives you that diversity of thought. And I mean, it just yes. seems like, in, in, you know, cybersecurity, I consider it a niche industry. I mean, you could even, you could, you could consider the medical field a niche industry, but I just feel like doctors are able to excel in geographical areas where they, you know, where they live, a lot of user than cybersecurity professionals are able to move up the ladder. Um, maybe because there's just less of them. I, you know, I, you know, I, I guess I have to take a, a closer look at it, but it just seems to me that if you're willing to move around, uh, the opportunity is, uh, is, is a bound. So I want to talk, I want to ask you something because, um, we, we talk about this a lot too, about structure. Uh, and I always think there's an optimal structure you know, there's, I've, I've talked to guys uh, in, in, in the corporate world that say, hey, look, we can, we can structure this a, a thousand different ways. It doesn't have to be this way or that way. No, it doesn't have to be. But there's always an optimal way of doing things in my mind. And when you look at the organizational structure, I know you said in your book that when the CISO reports into technology or IT that it's completely wrong and that's not the way to do things. I mean, so we have, there's, the CISO can report to a variety of different places. We've seen legal. Well, I've seen report to the CAO, the CRO, the CIO. Um, where, where do you think the CISO should report to and why? Yes, I, I agree. And that is definitely a big one. And I, I think for the CISO, it is so important that your voice is not filtered and that your knowledge and skills are really being leveraged and that the C-suite is engaging. Uh, let's, let's be honest. If, if you think that security decisions should be made deep in infrastructure or application development towers, uh, technology, so to speak, think again, right? Uh, while security needs to be taken serious by everyone and at all levels, including in the IT world, including technology and OT, wherever, depending on the company, how they are structured, it literally starts at the top. And, and it is a boardroom subject that needs to be led from there and not the other way around. Who owns the risk, right? The, the network director or the VP of infrastructure, the CIO or CTO? No, no. These are technology functions. Security is people, process, and technology. And, and so are risk management and company governance. And so it needs to be handled at that level, at that high level. If you focus on the technical side alone, you not only um, solve 
at best a very limited subset of the issue, but you lack the full and complete business side. And how about contract security or compliance or third-party risk, mergers, acquisitions, divestitures? How, how about competitive advantage uh, that a secure and well-managed company can reap rewards for? It's a, a lesson uh, learned over decades of experience. Security is a chief subject at the CEO, CFO, CRO, or CLO, and board level. And so the, the CSO and, or CISO needs to have the seat at the same table, right? Finally, let me, let me say this. Do you know any other C-suite level position where the incumbent is not reporting to the CEO? <laughs> No, right? Yeah. And so why then on earth should we let that happen for such a complex, risky, impactful, and, and critical subject as security? The CISO must directly report to the CEO and regularly provide reports and updates to the board of directors to really be effective. That, that's my lesson. So that's going to be such a hard sell in like these big companies, especially, you know, um, you know like whether it's, take a look at big companies like GE or Exxon, uh, JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, you know, having this the, the CISO report to the CEO um, is is going to get so much political you know, yes. uh, resistance, right? Is going to for a lot of reasons uh, because security is probably in makes up the top ten material risk uh, in technology. So you look at operations and technology in any kind of uh, company in any sector, really, cybersecurity uh, risk are going to dominate that space. And I don't know that the CIOs or the CROs want to let go of that. Right. I mean, they don't want they don't want that outside of their purview. Someone else talking to the CEO about those risks. That's very true. But the point is, it yeah. needs to be independent because, as I said earlier, they can filter it. They can filter the information. They don't want to look uh, bad. They they don't want to reveal all the issues that are in technology buried deep in the in the infrastructure or application side. But this is risk that the company faces. Right. It doesn't matter if this was due to an application coding error, or due to an infrastructure oversight problem, or budget cuts, or whatever. If if this goes to the media and the company um, value the brand is damaged, that's an issue that the C I or CTO or so, they, they can't own that. And therefore, there needs to be that independent voice to directly the CEO. Yes, there's a lot of political pressure, a lot of other yeah. items, but you need to play at the same level. You, you, you can't be down in infrastructure or application sec if you, if you have to deal with these business problems and business risks. So I know in the book uh, that you wrote, you take some of these breaches, you take some of the most you know, the prolific breaches that we've had, and you look at the different threat actors involved, and then you give examples of their TTPs and their IOCs, and then you develop a strategy to overcome them or defend against them, let's say. Not overcome, but defend against this type of threat. How important is it to know your adversary? And, and you know, because <laughs> I heard a lot of, you know, recently especially, a lot of people still have that old-fashioned risk view of, hey, it doesn't matter who your adversary is. You know, we just need to do the uh, root cause analysis, and once we have the RCA, we're good to go. That's good. A great question. I think it is it is important that you really understand the threat actors and the kind of methods that they use. Um, it's it's important to know hey who is against you, who is attacking you, and yeah. there are multiple different threat actors in the world. Uh, so it's of course the competition, uh, but this is also like hackers out there and criminals, and then uh, nation states and so forth. And to understand what is out there and who's your potential threat actor is is quite important. And then the methods, and then you can build a um, defense mechanism against that. Uh, I think it's core to understand uh, your enemy. You, you need to speak the language of the enemy, you understand the methods, and then you can better fight back. Yeah, no doubt. That's my opinion too. Uh, but I know there's a lot of people have different opinions out there about it, and I'm always interested to hear uh, what, they have to, what they have to say. Um, 
How about the, 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 the business continuity and disaster recovery piece of cybersecurity, especially considering the, the COVID-19 environment, the pandemic uh, that, we're, go- that uh, we're going through and we're, we're fighting, and how organizations have handled that? Do you think organizations were unprepared for something like this? Everyone you know, <laughs> yells at the government all the time. Oh, the government was unprepared. There weren't, no one was ready for this. How about Fortune 500 companies? Were they unprepared for this? Absolutely. Yes, I think. I think so. Uh, it is astonishing to see how things go wrong by the day. All the faltering of companies and the cry for public money to bail them out, uh, despite their choice uh, to not focus on strong business continuity planning during the, quote, regular course of business, right? In my view, none of this bailout money should be provided for free. Companies owe it to the taxpayer, those uh, that actually pay the money into the government account, to pay the gazillions back after a couple of years. It cannot, In my view, it cannot be tolerated. The earnings and profits are privatized, but but losses uh, actually socialized. That, that is not a free market in capitalism, but sheer so- socialism and hypocritic robbery to the community. I, I think companies and organizations were ill-prepared to this pandemic and uh, would be ill-prepared to any other major risk uh, in the same way, shape or form. They have not done the detailed planning and the full analysis and the preparedness testing. Otherwise, they would not have to scramble to get it done now under immense time pressure and with their back to the wall. I, I hope it uh, will be a long time really long time lessons learned but but my fear is that should we ever return to to normal in the future maybe 2025 i don't know we will lose those insights and within a few years people that have been through this crisis and and warn the then new boards or executives that these things can happen uh, will be discounted either as alarmists or utopists or fear mongers and so forth and that's the sad part of it and i predict it will happen based on my assessment to your uh, prior question the, the issue is we are not learning we are not learning from the past mm. we are going again and again and again the same thing and it drives me nuts <laughs> sorry so, but it really drives me nuts well, and then well, you know having said that how would you make the case uh, for uh, companies to engage more on their bcps and bias to make sure that they're ready for something like this like how would you make the case i mean because it's about influence right at this point yes. persuasion yes. negotiation right Great, and, and exactly, and that is the issue right now. You, you have to leverage this crisis. Of course you have to. Never let a good crisis go by un, unused or unleveraged, right? In this case, now the board, now the C-suite really understands how big this is and what can happen. And so you now leverage that as an influencing thing. You need to be careful that it is not like obvious that you are basically shifting from A to B to C and, and now yeah. try to get the business case for everything. But you, you show them, listen, this was the proposal for BCP in the past and we didn't do it for this and this reason, saving some money or you did not see that the likelihood is there. Now let's learn from that, uh, both on the impact and on the likelihood parameter. Let's now look at the other models for cyber threats or other issues and then uh, compare that and say, if you have this likelihood and we didn't believe it at that time, now let's compare that how uh, important or how potentially um, realistic is it that the cyber threat comes through. And I think that helps us now influence and then hopefully get the necessary uh, investments and changes of the process to make it really better for the future. There is an increased uh, amount of hacking happening, depending on which source you trust, fivefold, tenfold, but definitely it's significant increase. Hackers are leveraging that crisis with sending 100,000 phishing uh, emails uh, with the COVID uh, scheme. And uh, there's so, so many people working from home now and they may lack some other tech 
technology protection or some education. And so this is very successful. And we need to, to counter that with uh, good endpoint protection, with good VPNs, with good technology, but then also with good education and telling them don't click on these links and understand that if you haven't asked for it, it's pro and, and it screams that you have to click right here, right now. Otherwise, the world, the, the, the sky is falling. That mm -hmm. is not the case. All right, Mike, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, Global CISO and cybersecurity book author, Mr. Michael Overlander. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. 
While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guests, Global CISO and cybersecurity book author, Mr. Michael Overlander. So, Michael, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, cybersecurity is sort of always chasing our, our tail. You know, the, the bad guys are always ahead of us. And then there are others who say, hey, look, we're not doing that bad. We're keeping up. We're, we're, we're deploying emerging technologies to our advantage in some ways. Why is, is, is cybersecurity in a good state and a bad state? And if, if so, either way, why? Great question, George. Uh, I think we are in such a uh, poor state because of greed and stupidity and short-sightedness and because it doesn't matter. Look, if a company can make billions of dollars uh, before being caught or having a breach, uh, but this data breach costs them only like $50 million or so, guess what? Uh, what What I want to say with this is that the owners and the executives have a low incentive to, to make this better. Bonuses don't normally have a security objective in them. Or three years from now, the person who made the poor decision is long gone with a golden parachute or gigantic bonuses. They don't have to pay back when the company fails due to their bad decisions made three years ago. And then there's the vendor side, right? They, they try to get their fair, quote, fair share of the gigantic, I think, one trillion uh, cybersecurity market, and that's a Gartner number. Uh, their so-called uh, solutions, like better is uh, the word snake oil, are not solving the problem. And if at all, then only a tiny little bit, like point solutions, not integrated and not surviving for more than five years before being obsolete by new vendors or products and threat vectors. And vendors are definitely also guilty of the market situation and the bad shape the industry it is it is in. And and then there are, uh, I, I call it pseudo CISOs that, that pose as great experts and that have barely been a few years in the industry but think they know it all. I've seen product side CSOs and the C, the S should be the, the security um, that is normally for the S should be sales instead uh, that are presenting at conferences and post every day on social media, but they don't have even their own house, like the vendor network, the, the product and development lifecycle in order. Or you have uh, CISOs that have been uh, promoted from engineer into C-suite, right? Or, or similar roles. And those are not CISOs. Those are cannon fodder to let the corporate executive guild continue to make their money and, and take their exit when the time has come. 
and no one cares uh, what what the those CISOs said and uh, what the executives did. Look it up in the history over the last, I think, 50 years, right, since 1970s. It's a systemic failure, and it cannot be overcome by the market forces. The market forces entice quick and dirty money, not long-term, robust, and secure processes. And, and I think Corona is teaching that from a different angle, though, but, but very much so. It, your listeners are sitting at home in their closed environment because certain security precautions weren't taken, right? And while this is uh, the physical world in this example, it is exactly the same in cyber, and we are not taking the necessary steps and we are not changing the process and the culture and that that leads to that situation we are in in my view so that's some that's some real straight talk right there and i think a lot of sorry, people are afraid sorry. to say some of the things that, <laughs> i think a lot of people are afraid to say some of the things that you just said but there's a lot of there's a lot of credence to it i think you know you talked a little bit about the vendor space just then um there's so many vendors out there right now and there's so many the solution market is is almost chaotic but with all these solutions coming out, it just seems that um, it, it's making things in some ways more difficult. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have duplicative technologies now that do same things. They have, they have some uh, overlapping technologies that solve different problems uh, and they have different controls in, in place. So with all these vendors out there, it, it doesn't seem to be, you know, people can't just buy the cure and solve the problem. Um, what, what do you suggest? Mm-hmm. Well, well, as I said already, there is no snake oil that really solves the issue, right? Uh, yeah. We have currently about 1,800 cybersecurity vendors currently. It may be 715 or 1,900, doesn't matter. The point is there is a relentless cycle going on, uh, funded by the large in- institutional funds and structured by a combination of uh, Silicon Valley address as a hull and an Israel-based, or not only Israel, I'm not pu- pushing on that country, don't read me wrong, but in basically the, the IDF-trained uh, code word unit 8200, Army of Cyber Engineers, and analysts that are rolling off the market with the U.S. sales force and an international support model. And the true cure would be a sober software development lifecycle with a secure in front of that, right? A secure system development lifecycle and a robust system acquisition lifecycle on the customer side or the the consumer side and uh, proper operations and a well-trained workforce in all aspects. But look at what is really going on, right? Companies are not paying for the training of their employees or agile is king and security is, if at all, an afterthought. And how many patches did a security vendor issue during the last year or years? And does that tell you something? Do, do they have a true CISO with a CEO reporting structure and the funds to secure and the power to actually stop a release? And did the, the vendor grow organically or shortcut the growth via an acquisition? And if so, are there development processes between the uh, former company and the acquired company truly aligned and of the same kind of structure and quality and have the, the combined products really the same level of security? or did they inherit a whole load of uh, code crap? Sorry for my directness here, but too, too many such companies are no, failing. I love it. <laughs> I love it personally. I mean, you know, it's about time someone said it the way it is. Yes, and I, I do that because I have learned if you don't call out the problem, you can't solve it. And yeah. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to attack someone particularly, not at no, all. We don't but I want that. to describe what the problem is. And if you right. understand what the problem is, then it's time for the solution. So I think there is a couple of things that we actually can do, right? So instead of just purchasing technology and trying to plug it together, A, get this kind of business approach where you understand what the business goals are and develop your strategy, develop your future state, and then see where the gaps are and 
make your roadmap and only spend money on technology where there's really a great benefit and really you solve many problems with one solution and then change the culture. That is more important than any investment in technology. Change the culture. The human in front of the machine, they can always bypass every security control. It doesn't matter if it is on the endpoint or however. They find ways around it. So teach them why you are actually doing it and what they need to do to help to help the company help themselves to prevent the snafu. And if you get to that point that you change the mindset, that you get buy-in, that you get people actually calling the security department and asking, hey, I got this email or I got this question, I got a phone call, or actually someone asked me to wire money over, then that you have already won half of the battle because now you are a trusted entity, you are a trusted resource, they they believe in you. And then you have you have really the big step forward and, and it is getting easier and easier from that moment on. But if you come from the other side, you, you force all these technology controls up on them and limit the business opportunity, then you lose the war. That's, that's just a fact of the matter. How about emerging technologies? I mean, you, you talk in your book a lot about IoT and cloud and AI. Are, are you, do you see them being used properly or you know, consistently or even effectively in cybersecurity right now? And what do you see for the future? Uh, good question. Um, Yes, there, there is a couple of good technologies that uh, can really change the game. And we may actually learn, like slowly <laughs> learn from time to time and have another revolution in the market with technology, either deployment-wise or methodology-wise. And I think uh, machine learning and to some extent AI have a potential to automate a lot in cybersecurity. Like uh, um, it may help us to take the, the low skills tasks and uh, let them be performed by security robots, like code bashing, pen testing, patching. Th these are all great opportunities there for ML and AI. And then threat identification, right? Some threat intelligence is necessary. It's the same story. But unless we change the incentives for the corporate executives and the boards like by, by setting cybersecurity goals and objectives for their bonuses, really heavily regulate all the industries that are using computer chips, uh, which actually should be almost every company, um, we will see an endless cat and mouse game and, and that favors the attackers by design. That, that's the issue. Mike, if you had one piece of advice you could give to our listeners, what would it be? Uh, pretty simple. I, I, I mean, really mean it. I said it. Learn from your mistakes. Like, seriously, if, if you have had an incident, do the postmortem, uh, change your intra, uh, incident response plan, and, and really test it out. Uh, I have seen this again and again where companies run with the same incident response plan and are not adapting it or are not learning from the mistakes. And each person makes mistakes, including myself, but I learn from them. I, do it, I don't want to do the same mistake over and over and over again. So if you have a pen test result in the, in the dark red, make sure that next time you patch and implement soberly. If, if you're non-secure uh, software development lifecycle product, uh, folks uh, call you one day before you, you go live and to get the sign-off from security. Send them back home. Like Take, take it and, and send them back home and tell them back to the drawing board, you can't come to me one day before uh, li go live and ask me to sign off something that you for sure have never developed with security in mind. It's just not possible. And if you have a, a cyber snafu, then make sure in your next run or your next job, you do it much better and differently. So the, the short advice is really learn from your mistakes. Hey, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on the show, taking some time with us. And speaking frankly, I really, I really appreciate it, uh, you know, the courage. Where can people find your book? Sorry, I could not hear the question. I had a voice issue here. No, where, where could people find your book? Oh, it's on uh, Amazon. Uh, I have, there's multiple markets uh, here in the US and international, but then also uh, Germany, UK, France, Italy, Spain, and so forth. It's on Amazon and you can uh, search for global CISO strategy, tactics, and leadership, and you will find it there.
right. I appreciate you coming on. I hope to have you on again soon. Maybe, you know, come on with one of our panels or something. I think you would be great on one of our panels. And uh, I mean, a lot of interesting things to say. I really appreciate you spending the time with us. Thank you, George, for having me. I really enjoyed being on your show and pleasure to, ha- to be there and happy to come back anytime when you, when you need me. All right. Thanks so much. It's time to go, folks. But before we do, I remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.